everyone, welcome to the Beyond the Dance Floor podcast where we look at everything outside of the moves and the competitions and try to dive a little bit deeper. It's about history, mentality and connecting the dots between the dance and the other aspects of our lives. Today we talk with the one and only b-boy Focus from Flomo Crew out of Helsinki, Finland. Focus is one of the most internationally recognized dancers in the breaking world and is one of the first to really push online breaking education through his website and YouTube channel. In the talk, we get into his breaking history and coming from a small town, building the online learning platform, the B-Boy, B-Girl Dojo, the importance of mentorship, what footwork means to him and more. Huge thank you to Focus for taking the time to share his thoughts and many years of experience with everyone. Hope you all enjoy the chat. Peace. Okay, what's up everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Today we've got Focus from Flomo crew, real pleasure to have you here. Thanks, you, thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, it's an honor. Su- super excited. So, um, why don't we? Yeah, just get right into it. So, for anyone who might not know who you are, do you mind just doing a little bit of uh, background? Uh, who you are, how you got into dance or hip hop or whatever? Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, my name is Focus. My name is Jussi Sirvier. My first name, and I've been breaking since 1995. I was a young young kid, 11 years old at the time. Happened to go into a party and saw a circle breaking breaking out in the in the audience. I didn't really know what it was, but I saw something amazing that blew my mind. And my best friend at the time, he also got into it, and he he convinced me to uh, start getting classes by one of the OGs over here, in my my area was actually teaching at my small, small city. Hmm. We would travel all the way from, from another city to that place and was giving out classes. So I got really fortunate because mid-90s, there wasn't really much going on. I hmm. think globally, it was a really, really quiet time. And especially in my country, there was really <laughs> like only this one dude that was teaching. Wow. And that way, I used to live in a small village of 5,000 people at the time. And out of all the places, he came over there every single week to give classes. So wow. I got really fortunate. And uh, he taught me everything that he knew. And I moved over from, from there. That was the Mikko Algren, my first teacher, all the way from 1995. Wow. Um, yeah. Who were, who were some of the other people that you got exposed to when you were like learning? Mm. Well, first of all, the people in my school was uh two three year old, years older older breakers that was getting busy a little bit earlier than me one or two years and it had been going on since like 93 94. so i'm gonna of course drop some names but they're not around in the breaking scene anymore so you, you probably don't know there's guys like yanni uh, Fassi, um Peke, and who who owns the skateboarding ranch at the moment like a oh, like nice. a ranch at the at the same village but he's, he's turned that into an actual skateboarding resort kind of place wow nice got up to Seke as well and some of these guys i started my first crew midpoint rockers in 1997 so i had my teacher and these guys 
Jani Pasi Juuso, Antti and all these guys mm. rocking with us. Nice. And pretty quick we started getting getting videotapes, VHS tapes. So we saw the movies from the 80s. We saw B Street, Wow Style, Star Wars, and and such. And of course, anything that we saw but there, that was simply amazing. Like the classic battle from B Street, Rocksteady versus New York City Breakers. Everybody in that clip was was simply mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So of course, we tried to do what what we saw on tapes because there wasn't too much around. Like now you got footage all over the place, but back then you had this one precious VHS tape that you tried to rewind a million times per day and try to learn what you saw. Um, around ninety six, ninety seven, we started getting tapes from Europe. We started getting Battle of the Year tapes, and and uh, we saw, of course, ninety seven classic final battle between style elements and south side rockers that was super influential we saw a new generation new wave of breakers that was a little bit different from the 80s old school generation so style elements that was more creative and or not more creative but uh exploring with styles in a different way that was super super influential and a lot of european OGs. we saw storms with rock maurizio evo uh, Freeze from Sweden, Nico from Throwdown from Sweden as well. And these guys really shaped the way that we break, second to none from the UK. And little by little, world started to open up, more footage started to pop out. We started to travel a little bit more, meet up with everybody and learn from every single travel we go. Mm-hmm. But they were the main influences in the 90s. So you had your original crew, but at some point you you started or you got into Flomo, which which one was it? 2002 was the year that we formed Flomo. It was a time when my original crew was kind of uh, kind of uh, slowing down. People were going on to different things in life. And there was another crew in Helsinki called Savage Feet, also from the late 90s era. And the same thing was happening to them. And there was a couple of people in both crews that were passionate and really wanted to take things further. Whereas the second half of the crew was directing towards different things in life. So in the 90s, we had some beef with these guys because that's what 90s was like. You saw B-boys from another city in the country, you automatically were like you, you were rivals with these guys. So we had some beef in the 90s, but late 90s, early 2000s, we realized, all right, there's not too many people who had the same passion, who had the same mission to be on the stages where what we saw on the stage or the the tapes and see the people that we saw on videos and and cipher with all of these guys and maybe even battle some of them and so so early 2000s we decided to join forces with the left remaining members from both crews in 2002 that was i think april 22nd was the day that we decided to make up a new crew and came up with a new name flomo and it's been on ever since 20 years plus Mm-hmm. Where, where did that name come from, by the way? Flomo. We had we had a meeting that day, and everybody was instructed to think about their own personal um, suggestions for the name for the crew. Everybody had their own versions. I, I remember Antopio. He had Cypher Spirit. That was one of the names that he suggested. <clears throat> that was one of the top contest con, um, contenders for the name. I was feeling the name Focus already at the time, so I suggested Focus Crew. 
I wasn't calling myself Focus back then. I was just going by my first name, Yussi. And when when traveling, everybody's like, Yussi, what? How do you write it? What's that? Like, what does it mean? It didn't work. But I suggested to the crew to be the Focus crew, and everybody's like, nah, it doesn't sound right. It's too abstract. It doesn't make sense. I just kept the name for myself. And then Vortex, he had he had the final idea. He's like, I got one more idea. And it's not going to be Cypher Spirit. Then I got this idea of flow motion. Like, it's not slow motion. Every time we break, we always have a great flow. And uh, that's the way we move. So like, everybody was immediately like, hey, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We started as flow motion and put it in short. That's flow mo. Mm-hmm. Been been at it ever since. Nice. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, it's got a good good vibe to it. It has mm-hmm. kind of like a wordplay and uh, and a meaning behind it too. So it's not just a random random name, but it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, like you? When I think of Flomo, there's a there's a lot of people, but two of the people, the most like prominent names that come to my head when I think of the crew is you and Hot Solo. And for a, for a while, maybe even still, like it was, you two were kind of traveling around. It was always like the duo. There's always some kind of duos that, that appear out of different crews. There was like Crumbs and Remind and, you know, so on, that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about like maybe that time of you, you guys like traveling around representing the crew? Yeah, the duos, man. Crumbs and Remind, uh, Storm and Swift. Yeah. Kenny and Lex at one point. It's always about the duos. Somehow, the duos somehow Batman and Robin they complement <laughs> each other in a way that they they push more out from each other and and uh, boost each other's feed each other's energy. So, I think the first battle we did as a duo was no, we did some battles before, but the big biggest important first battle we did was Circle Kings 05. When, when Amjad, he was throwing it the first time, the first time he threw Circle Kings, and he, he sent me an invite, and he wanted first off for me to battle with Atta, and Atta was already kind of drifting out from Flomo at the time, so, so I said, like, all right, let's, let's battle with Hat Solo. We have a great connection. We come from the same city. We train together. Most of the time, it was like us two, first at the at the spot and last one to leave and often just just by ourselves too so we were putting in mad work mm-hmm. and working mad hard to up our skills so it made sense to battle battle together and ever since then like that that was a successful year we beat up a lot of heavy hitters there was like Menno and Cisco in the semis and mm. Pugsteady in the final with Technique and Luigi and people back home didn't believe us when we when we gave them a call after the battle. Like we just beat up Rocksteady in the final, and at the time that didn't happen. Like you had a U.S. crew that was invited to battle in the in the in Europe, then most of the times the U.S. crew won. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. just based on the rep and based on the skills. Of course, there was a lot of skills, but the U.S. crew coming out to the Europe then then was like an automatic win. So us taking out taking out that. That crew and that battle was was a big thing for us, and it was a big big change and a big shift for Finland as well. So we started winning battles, and the people started winning battles, and uh, it was a big year. 
So of course, after winning that battle, we started battling more with that solo. And then anywhere there was a two on two, we went and every time we just didn't do the competition, but we also killed the circles on another level. So I guess that was that was the way that we built our rep as a duo. Yeah. A lot of the no noise was made in the circles too. Like a lot of people just came in and did the competition and that's it. But we were freaking making making noise and destroying circles everywhere we went. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe can you talk a little bit about about that aspect of things that, uh, yeah, just you have the competition, but there's also ciphers and maybe the importance of that. Of course, competition is important. I, I love competitions myself and I feel it's an important part, but now it's treated as often as it's the only part of of breaking, which is not true. There's so much more to it. There's a lot that breaking has to offer for everybody, and not everybody has to be or be be a person who goes into competitions and wins competitions in you know, order to be part of the scene. You can promote events. You can be a great teacher. You can have a fly fashion and mm -hmm. whatever it is. And of course, ciphers is a big part of big part of the culture and big part of keeping things alive. So I felt it was stronger early 2000s up to like 2010s. It was a stronger part of the scene than it is now. Of course, we can still see it, but now with the age of Instagram and big stage battles, I think the main concentration is in the competition right now. So of course, there's the underground scene, which is beautiful. I think right now there are dope things going on in the underground as well. It's not just the big stages and, and Olympics that's coming up, there's beautiful things happening in the scene where the whole whole culture is more at focus, where there's more emphasis on ciphers and more emphasis on different things than just the competitions. But yeah, ciphers, big part of part of the whole thing, of course. And if you're not rocking ciphers, then you're missing a big piece of the puzzle. I yeah, I know like you've you've talked about that and, and other things a lot on like uh your sort of YouTube uh, series that you have, the knowledge drop, and yeah, I'm kind of curious about that too. Like, how how did that kind of come around, come about? The knowledge drop, yeah. So I've been running the dojo, people and bigger dojo, since 2015. So it's about seven years by now. We started off with just providing courses for people who want to learn, but. But wanted to create something that keeps people engaged and gives value for, for people who are not just part of the courses, but the whole scene in general. So there's different aspects to the knowledge drop. There's giving, giving people inspiration, knowledge and, and uh, value, but of course, recording some of the experiences that I've gone through within my nearly 30 years of the dance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like hip hop is breaking is a lot about oral stories like you you hear stories here and there but if a pioneer or a person who's been in the scene for a long time disappears then all the stories disappear over there as well we don't have too many books we don't have too many programs like that we don't have too much education in the school system yet there is some but not too much so the knowledge drop is just my way of recording and passing on everything i've learned within my nearly 30 years of the dance. And uh, still on it, been been rocking a weekly knowledge drop video almost for three years now, I think. 
and uh, there's a lot to discuss within the scene. Not just again, not just the competition, not just the battles, but there's so much more that we can build on, like running a business. What's it like, and uh, how to again support your mental health in the competitive scene that we live in, and and there's so many different aspects to it. So still got more work to be done, not done yet. Yeah. Yeah, you cover a lot of different topics. It's really, it's really good. I think that more, more people need to do that, and more people need to, yeah, just like, like you said, record their, their own history and their own experiences and stuff, and share it. That's how like the community grows, right? It's this kind of base knowledge that everyone has, and you pass that on, and everyone has that same. We talk about foundation of moves and stuff too, but foundation of knowledge is another important thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. People say the fifth element of hip hop, and uh, it's surprising, like uh, how how many people you can reach online mm -hmm. versus when when you would have to travel in the past. Of course, it's still part of it, but like when whenever I travel now, I I see people who follow what we do with the dojo, and there's like uh, our biggest audience is in India. And yeah, Mexico and Pakistan is tuning in heavy. Mm. And whenever, whenever I was in China before the pandemic hit, it was like people translating the videos to Chinese and, and a big audience over there too. So uh, it's crazy how global we can get. Yeah. Like you, you don't always realize it on the daily grind. You're like, all right, just keep, let's push another video out. But mm -hmm. suddenly it's like, all right, here's the tri Chinese translation of it. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Do you know how many how many languages have you like translated these things into? About the knowledge drop, I don't know, to be honest. There were some people translating into Spanish, mm -hmm. some people for Chinese, but that's all I know for sure right now. Right. Some of the courses that we do, we have translated to, I think, seven languages. Wow, that's crazy. We have like Japanese, Chinese, Spanish, Estonian, um, wow. Finnish, English, of course, French. I guess that's it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you're one of the, I don't know if it's few, maybe, it seems to me, like one of the few people that's really embraced the you know, online technology and the things that are available to us. And fairly early on, you said you've been doing the, the B-Boy, the B-Boy, B-Girl Dojo for seven years, was it? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, yeah, just how that came about and, and your experiences with that? <clears throat> sure. Uh, 2015, when the dojo was released in the springtime, it wasn't too much around. Like I saw different platforms on different different fields. Fitness was big on online education, right? You could buy a personal trainer course in <laughs> any country or any city, whatever. Then mm -hmm. I was taking part in in um, the DJ school by DJ Hubert at the time. DJ Hubert Scratch University was already on at the time, so I was learning how to scratch from, from Hubert. And from there, the idea came like, all right, let's make one for breakers because we, we didn't see any any platforms like that for breakers at the time. There was like a couple of clips on YouTube and some old DVDs and VHS tapes that had instructional material, but that's it. There wasn't any, any more. Of course, now there's more, but at the time, there wasn't any. So 
with AT at the time, we decided to put the platform together, wrote the script, uh, put all the savings at the time into it to make it happen, and mm -hmm. hired a company to make the platform. Mm -hmm. Hired a, a videographer and a person to do the edits, and yeah, it was a big step, big risk of course, but seven years it's been, it's been on it. Ups and downs, um, of course, uh, once, once the lockdowns hit, then everybody was saying like, you guys are ahead of the time because you're already set up. That's when everybody started making platforms because they couldn't travel. Mm -hmm. So that was a good advantage for, for me as well, that we've been on it for, for a lot of years before, before the world got closed. But yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. Like the first idea was like, all right, let's make a online course and make it automated so that you can just let it run by itself and chill right. at the beach somewhere in Hawaii or whatever. That's not the case. Yeah. You work with it every single day and, and people don't realize how much work puts, goes into it. Mm -hmm. Easy to criticize, but when you're not there and doing the grind, then yeah. a whole other story to see just the end result. Like It's like an iceberg with floating in a, in a sea, right? right? You see the tip, you're like, ah, oh, that's a shitty tip, but you don't see the whole whole iceberg under the water, the whole workload that puts into it, of the stress and the hours and the investment of time and money that goes into it. It's mm -hmm. somehow so overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. But it's been a rewarding trip and a, and a fulfilling trip at the same time, like meeting up with so many incredible people from all around the world and bringing people together, being able to inspire and being able to connect people who inspire each other. That's been the trip mm -hmm. that's been going on for seven years. And and uh, even though it's been a lot of stress, it's all, all, also been a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, too, that it's it's not just purely like online lessons, right? You do have ways for people to connect with each other and build with each other. There's like a community aspect to it, right? There's definitely a community aspect. First of all, there's like two communities. There's a community of people who are part of the courses who connect. We run the courses in, in a way that we run them together as a group. Mm. But we get on group calls and vibe out and and uh, give out people some tasks and some of the courses have exams at the end of the end of the course, such as the teacher education course, for example, where we train train people on how to teach breaking. After the six months they they have done all the research and, and studying, they get back to back together for the exam and if they pass then then they can say like all right i passed the course <clears throat> but also also outside of the paid courses the dojo has become to form form a community of people simply working on their skills and and, and uh get inspired by by each other so there's all, often different kind of challenges we push out and we did a footwork battle last year that gathered like 200 people from all around the world and mm -hmm. we did like a fitness challenge for 14 days, two week fitness challenge for New Year's. Nice. Of how to take your training to another level besides on everything besides breaking. Like mm -hmm. everybody knows they're breaking already, but if you want to train at, train at a hard, hard, high level, then you need to know so many different things. How to take care of your body, how to, how to condition, how to build strength, speed and stamina, how to recover with your rest and stuff such we did like a two-week exam or, or like a challenge for these kind of aspects and that that was massive massive i think it gathered 900 people from all around the world yeah 
Yeah. But there's yeah, many aspects to it, not just building courses. Yeah. Well, I think that that kind of stuff is great. I saw like uh, Ark, my buddy Ark from uh, Hawaii. He took the teacher's course and learned um, like certification and stuff like that. And I think that kind of stuff is really good. Like having having things set up that people can really like prove that, hey, I know I have this knowledge. It's not just like, you know, you can say that you do, you have it, but do you actually have it, right? That kind of thing. It's like, now I've actually gone through the steps to do this. This is a, you know, you guys have a good reputation now at this point of being a pretty legit place or a legit yeah. source of, of knowledge and stuff. Yeah. And that came out of a need too, like a need that we have in the scene. Like, for example, myself, when I moved to Helsinki, 2006 <clears throat> um, I'm trying to apply to all these dance schools and everybody's saying like you don't have a degree in teaching dance and you don't have a paper to prove your expertise and and uh, without the paper most of the people didn't accept me and some people hired me they ended up paying me a shitty salary compared to the other teachers because of the lack of education even mm. though my CV was completely on another level than most of the teachers on the schools. Right. <laughs> Nobody uh, competed outside of the country as much as I did already back then. So that was frustrating. And, and also because of that, we started the course for teachers and ended up bringing, bringing different generations of people together to be on the course as instructors and giving out the certificate of passing the course. And as a result, a lot of people who have been through it have told us that they have been actually been able to raise their salary on their current position, which is great. Mm -hmm. Like show their show their boss, like I'll be working on my education. So based on this, you need to pay me more. And yeah. that's been happening. That's been happening to a lot of people. And also some people have gotten hired because of the paper that they got out of the course, even mm -hmm. though it's not government backed an independent course but so are many others like personal training courses for example so uh it's been it's been also very very helpful for a lot of people in the scene and that's been that's been a joy to witness yeah sometimes it's really just like yeah you say like because of this piece of paper they can do stuff but it's true a lot of times like you get that education or you get that that thing that that certifies you as some knowledge ex not expert but someone who has this knowledge right it can really do things sometimes right yeah, yeah. for sure education is shifting mm -hmm. and some of the universities are in crisis too because you can basically learn anything yeah with your with your individual studies right now anywhere in the world so uh what is a piece of paper from an institution it you can do learn from all of the best in all different fields right now by yourself if you want so you can you can build your skill as it like a skill set to a grandmaster level on any any field right now if you mm -hmm. want yeah and become a top level colder online if i want or whatever it is but i think that that's a beautiful thing too like uh i think at this point the, the knowledge that you gain is what matters not that not only the proof that you get from an institution yeah, that doesn't exactly. necessarily make sense. Your work <clears throat> speaks for yourself and your experience, mm -hmm. which is the way that, that it should be. Yeah. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember seeing somewhere that you, 
you did like a some kind of an art business degree or something like that. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened was I dropped out of university. I got into university for a brief moment. Um, 2003 was the year. Yeah, I think so. So once I finished college, um, I graduated from there. And, you know, at that time when you're 20 years old, you don't really know what you want to want to do in life. All I wanted to do was break. And of course, my parents were saying, like, you need to get an education. We support your dance, but you need an education to uh, have a plan B, something to fall back on. So I got into university for computer science networks and oh, wow. such. That was the only only place that I got into. And of course, that wasn't for me. That was not what I wanted to do, really. So in a couple of months, it was already clear, like, all right, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> And Solo was always telling me about that one breaking session when I came to the training and threw my backpack in the corner. It's like, fuck that. I'm dropping off. Now it's time to break. Let's battle. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I, I didn't want to make my parents unhappy. I promised to them, like, all right, I'm going to drop off now, but I'm going to get my education one day. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. So I took off, I think, seven years of just being, being straight um, Breaking, breaking related, twenty four seven kind of thing. Just battle toward, toward or whatever. But I always knew that I'm going to go back to school whenever, whenever I have, like a more clear vision of what is it that I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I found this education called the Arts Management or Culture Management over here, University of Applied Sciences. I, I applied in, and they they accepted me. So. Started working over there, and I think 2014 was the year that I graduated. Three and a half years of, of school over there, but they teach you about how to how to uh, work on the on the borderline of culture and arts and business. How how to uh, put everything together in a way that works. They just told you about how to. Um, how to approach companies, how to apply for grants and such. And also how to work on like Excel and whatever, do budgets and stuff, which has been highly, highly helpful. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was, was something that I was most, most uh, glad about was that I could do some of my things and, and get points from my school for, for throwing events or mm. attending a graffiti workshop or taking DJ lessons in Helsinki or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the people in, in the office, they were always laughing at me when I came in the door. I'm like, all right, listen up, guys. I got a great idea. There's this DJ workshop I'm going to take, and you guys are going to give me give me some compensation for it. Like, all right, I get part of my studies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not, yeah. though, right? Exactly. And as a, as a person who runs events, who organizes, promotes events, you need to understand what does it what are the needs of a DJ that you book? You need to have your two turntables and they have to be techniques, 1200s or something similar. You have to have a proper mix of Rain or Pioneer or whatever. And how to set it together, you don't have, you don't have to hire other people to do it. Like uh, you can handle it yourself. It's again, you, your level of, of expertise goes to another level. Mm -hmm. So important things. Yo. Yeah, back to education, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm happy I, I do have an education that then and I do have a paper so in case some some doesn't work and I get 
um, overstressed or bored or breaking, then I can always run festivals of different different fields. I can throw an art ex art exhibition or rock concert. I know the skills, mm -hmm. same skill set. Yeah, but I can yeah. just use it in a different way. Yeah, that's that's a really important point too. That no matter what you do, whatever you get educated in, there's a lot of things that'll transfer into different areas. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing about about breaking on hip hop that we learn so many universal skills over here that you can apply with anything else if you are open for anything outside of the breaking field. Mm -hmm. So uh, you learn life skills with your battles and travels and throwing yeah. jams and yeah, interacting, sure. networking with people. You can apply all of that stuff to everything else outside of breaking too. Mm -hmm. so it's um, not just competition related eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, just speaking of, you know, getting education and, and learning things and whatnot, uh, you know, a big theme recently that's come up in a lot of these interviews is the idea of mentorship and just passing on that knowledge or helping to guide future generations and help them navigate these things uh, in their own way with, with the knowledge that you have. Um, and I know, well, I'm not sure, is are you still running a dance school is that still operational mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. 12 years mm -hmm. we've been running cypher mm -hmm. cypher studio in helsinki and still operational mm -hmm. and i also work as the head coach for the finnish breaking right. team breaking team finland aiming to compete in paris 2024 yeah yeah can you talk a mentorship bit? Oh. yeah mentorship yeah i think everybody should have a mentor or a coach or whatever you want to call it and different stages in my life i've always had always had mentors when it comes to my first teacher or it comes to my kung fu teacher or or wasn't really a teacher it was more of a coach who, who trained guided who trained me on kung fu mixed martial arts and also working working out and working for my strength and stamina to later working with petri who's like a physical coach or like um more 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 on the strength and stamina endurance level to working with Ziri who's been coaching me on online business from Belgium and and I think everybody should have a coach whatever your passion is there's a person who has done it before you so you don't have to reinvent the wheel yourself and uh that's my tip for anybody watching this like whatever is your passion find somebody who's done it before you and and ask for guidance and uh it can make your road so much easier you don't have to do everything ourselves no man's an island yeah it's a very good point uh yeah so we talked yeah a little bit about mentorship in the school but can you i was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about i know you know there's maybe some secrets that you don't want to share and keep the the knowledge a little bit hidden but can you talk about yeah just coaching for the Finnish team as much as you can okay that's another interesting process that we've been working on working with um once the announcements announcements came through that breaking is going to be featured in Paris 2024 that was already the time when when we over here were like, all right, we gotta start working towards it. Like that's that's a train that you don't want to miss. You want to get a head start because everybody's gonna be 
working hard to be there and get ready. So uh, I know things often take time, like with with associations, with federation. There's a lot of bureaucracy that you need to work work with, and it's sometimes frustrating because it takes so long. So me and Petri Rasanen from Twenty Four Warriors Helsinki, we we put our heads together and and uh, talk with the Finnish Breaking Association, and we're like, all right, we're gonna start making camps. We're gonna start the first first camps, and we're gonna start building a coaching team of coaches to support people going going to wanting to compete in, in Paris later on. So uh, pretty quick, we had our first camps, and we had a team of coaches of uh, me and Petri, and then Ludo as a and an additional breaking coach. We had Mikko Oxman, who's a doctor. He used to be a doctor for the karate team over here in, in Finland, and he used to come to my class at the time, and he was like, all right, I want to be part of this as well. So suddenly we have a doctor in the team. We have Demo, nice. who's a physiotherapist slash uh, naprapath. So all these different aspects. Some to another, another physical coach to work on their endurance and strength levels too. So suddenly we have like seven coaches for the team, and and the team is set together. There's eight people in eight people in the team, four guys and four girls, and and uh, suddenly there's like a structure on on how to coach breakers for the high level battles. So that's been dope. Uh, we've been making camps between three months over here, and and uh, between the time my studio and and training for warriors. We uh, provide places for practice for the team and different kind of guide, guide us along the way. So that's been a great trip. And uh, yeah, also another shift of how to how to coach breaking on a top level because it's different than teaching a weekly class or mm-hmm. teaching a workshop. In a workshop, you try to give out as many principles and as many concepts and ideas as possible, but you want to coach somebody on a long term different kind of process more about how to adjust what they already know into a more polished and a higher level um how do you say entity or or whatever yes (laughs) so uh yeah that's that's another shift of perspective on teaching as well you can you can be a great teacher at weekly classes but it doesn't make you a great coach or it doesn't make you a great workshop teacher for example so true it's still it's still an ongoing process of course still a new thing and uh i've been i've been lucky to work with different countries as well i've been coaching the breakers in norway aiming for paris some in belgium and i'm going to poland next month to teach their team and i'm going to croatia to to coach their new teams aiming for paris and, and the olympics so learning as we go it's been an inspiration journey this part yeah that's another you know good point too that you know you can learn these skills and in the dance and you know the moves and connection with the music and stuff like that there's so much to learn but even outside of that there's things like learning how to coach learning how to teach how to judge all these things that and they're different skill sets too right yeah yeah so that's that's really cool yeah um and even yeah that's just mentoring someone and coaching someone are, are kind of different too yeah yeah and becoming becoming a coach is a, is a great skill to have mm-hmm. the you're deep or not it's like a something that can help you in in life in general mm-hmm. 
whether it's your business, whether it's your relationships, so that you are more open to listen and mm -hmm. give advice and help people. Yeah. And uh, that's another thing that can give you joy along the way. So, yeah, yeah it's been an interesting trip this far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about uh, just talk, carrying on the tradition and, uh, you know, when we're talking again about passing on knowledge. And uh, I've seen just things with your, your crew's like anniversary and things like that. And just the people that you choose, like I think you had Scheme, Scheme Richards come out. He's another guy who's really a big promote, proponent of you know, carrying on tradition and, and, and passing on this knowledge and things like that. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that with maybe regards to your crew and just what you do too? So yeah, when, when my crew started to come up, I guess we were lucky in a way that we didn't have the current scene or the current generation around us. So we had to look for the older generation for inspiration. So in that way, we were lucky that we had a lot of a lot of uh, respect for other gener generations of the dance as well, not just the current one. And that shaped our our understanding of the dance in a way that we will search for knowledge from, from different generations as well. And, and of course, give props and respect for the people who did it before us. And I guess, I guess somehow that shaped our style to be a little bit more traditional too not just looking at what makes it in competition these days, but looking for a broader perspective and looking for a timeless style instead of what's hot right now. And that, that shaped the whole image and the philosophy of FOMO in a way that, that um, somehow our approach has always been about foundation and about originality and how to put that together with a, with a, great understanding of culture and musicality and all that. And I guess somehow it can be seen in all of the things that we do, whether it's the anniversary, whether it's the way that we promote our, our or like put together our cool prints or whatever it is. There's always like a wider perspective or tradition, not just what's, what's hot right now. And hopefully that inspires people in, in the events that we do, for example, so that there's certain values in, in, in the events that are appreciated, such as having more circle, circle times or having the qualifiers in the circle in a way that there's more space for anything outside of anything outside of the basic competition too. There's value in the after party. So we put a lot of a lot of uh, effort into making that one of the best pieces of the weekend. For example, last time around there was a uh, album release party of Funky Sound Foundation, an 11-person funk band over here in Helsinki. And that was the after party of, of the event. So somehow that brought everybody together and and the band was really close to the audience. So there was no big stage. It was like in the middle of the people of a packed small club. And that was really the best part of the whole weekend. That after party was crazy. Everybody was just bugging out. And you could literally just feel the sweat from the drummer when <laughs> <laughs> he was banging the drums and, and rocking the brakes on the on the front row. So such a such a great night. And literally the best part of the whole weekend was was the after party. So we tried to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah, like uh 
like you said before, and I would totally agree that, you know, competitions, they have their own, you know, good points and, and things that people like about them. But for me personally, like, the best experiences that I've had were these things outside of the competition, whether it was in a circle or the after party or just randomly, like after the jam ended and you're like out on the street or something like that, who knows, right? But some of these these things that just kind of spontaneously happen or, or things where where everyone can still dance because like you know most people don't end up making it past prelims in the grand scheme of things right so having things mm -hmm. that people can enjoy still circles after party is another good example like you said and that live energy of a, of a live band there's something that you can't match with that yeah, yeah. and breaking is for everybody this culture is for everybody so mm -hmm. why not address everybody in the audience not just the people who make it past prelims and being the top top two finalists yeah true that excludes so many people in the in the whole thing so yeah if you throw an event and <clears throat> think about everybody who's walking in through that door mm -hmm. maybe can you can you talk a bit, little bit about where you see like what where can the breaking community improve like what are some of the, the points that you see that we can take this further or something like that Hmm. I think level is really high in everything right now. Competition level is crazy. It's just getting higher and higher before, like once we're moving closer to the big, big competitions. I think uh, underground events are beautiful and dope. Somehow, what we can improve on on breaking, I think, is working together in different, different fields of of the culture. So that it's not just a competition over here. It's not just a underground event over here. How how do we work together and embrace the whole beautiful thing that we have and bring everybody together? And it's it's hard when there's egos and big prize money and careers on the line in that way. I think we need more events that bring all the different aspects to, of the dance somehow together and bring the community together on a deeper level. So I guess that's something that we can build build on and, and improve on. That's the first thing that comes to my mind right now. Just yeah. becoming un like a community again and have a stronger sense of, of unity. Mm -hmm. Even though stakes are higher year after year on the on the on the high level comp competitions. Yeah. But we can't forget about everything else. Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's always been sort of it's kind of human nature to to divide into these camps sometimes of this or that or this is better than that but it's also you know a big part of humans is collaborating and working together and and finding some greater unifying thing that brings people together so yeah and but i know like the pandemic last few years how many years is it now i don't even remember <laughs> losing count yeah right but that you know that was tough on a lot of people and and uh, a lot of things were in question and things like that but you know where it seems like things are sort of moving out of that and yeah it's a bright future for sure yeah. we're getting back there absolutely and you can see this running the studio too is like we're not yet where we were in 2019 but mm -hmm. The direction is definitely going that way and it's so much fun to see the joy in people's eyes when they when they walk out of the studio after a great class it's like 
that's why we do this like we are bettering people's lives with this work and that's that's the same with events too like now after two or three years into the pandemics you see an ill jam and everybody's just bugging out and yeah. getting together and having memorable times then that's no, no nothing can top that really that's an amazing feel yeah for sure um <clears throat> i guess the last thing that i think maybe we have to talk about just because it's it's focus and i think we have to talk a little bit about focus and footwork and uh, maybe yeah just i know you've you've probably mentioned this a lot but just for these people that are listening and watching you know to give people a clearer idea of of you know what is footwork to focus <laughs> okay what is footwork to focus well first of all when whenever i got into the dance i always wanted to wanted to be an all-rounder breaker not just emphasize or, or just be about one thing and that's still true um, i consider myself a b-boy not not a specialist like that mm-hmm. there's times when i love rocking my tops only or there's times when i love just getting into power or whatever just creating new stuff but naturally people started to recognize me for my footwork which is funny because a couple of years earlier than that people would diss me for my footwork or go to events and and uh, people in the capital in Helsinki were like, "Yo, your power is power is all right, but your footwork is whack, man. <laughs> the tops, nah. But your footwork, you need to gotta work on that one." So, I guess that was also something that stuck to my mind. Like, I'm gonna prove these guys. Like, I'm gonna go back to the lab and work my ass off. Like, I show them, like, I got some footwork, guys. So. That started to go into into me entering some footwork battles and taking a couple of titles and eventually just working hard at having having an ill form and having an ill flow and having the connection with the music on the on the ground level too and being creative without losing the form and that's a that's a difficult thing to have like having an ill form but still look like yourself and create recreate some of the stuff that you had learned from the from the generations before you and that's where you got to put in a lot of work it's easy to be creative but to maintain that form and still look like you that's a hard thing to do so that's i think that's in breaking that's what takes the most amount of time if you want to take that route you gotta drill and drill and drill in order to make it polished polished in a way but you don't want to be too technical still organic and still funky but that balance is hard to find and I guess that's where I, I spent a lot of time in the lab, and and I guess it paid off. A lot of people recognized me for my for my footwork, and it's been dope. Um, and it's been it's been great to battle some of the people that I looked up to in the past. Like, it's been amazing to battle T Rock, for example, or get to battle guys like Camel and Casper in the states and learn from them, like getting smoked by these guys and going back to the lab again, it's like, fuck, we lost that battle, what can we do better? So the next time around, we, we don't lose anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, for sure, like, being all, all-rounder all is, is always kind of the goal, I think, for a lot of people. But yeah, with things like, you know, footwork-specific battles and top rock-specific battles and things like that, it's always interesting because, like, sometimes that that line of like okay well where where does it start becoming footwork and then this is like not footwork and this kind of thing 
and a lot of times it depends on the judge and who's judging the competition their sort of their line where they draw that that line of this is and isn't footwork that kind of thing yeah yeah um, for sure and uh i think because of that dilemma that not not everybody's on the same line mm-hmm. and also people entering the competition might have a different understanding of footwork than the people who are judging and that's where the conflict happens yeah that's why when when ibe gave me the title after i won it three times they gave me the title for focus on footwork battle for a couple of years and and we worked on how i was thinking about how can we educate the people who's entering to get everybody on the same page mm-hmm. of what is expected and what does it make in order to what does it take in order to make it in the competition they don't want to set any rules because at the same time breaking is creative and and uh open but i worked on some guidelines so that people who are entering they they might at least understand why they didn't make it through the prelims like if you spend half of your round doing flares and back rocks then not doing that much footwork so there might be a reason to it yeah so uh i wrote out the guidelines and we promoted them in a way that everybody who's entering the competition at least they know and we expect them to master different styles and they have a great connection with the music and work on their form in order to make it through the prelims and maybe be in the top eight, top four, maybe even in the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I remember it might have been you, but you, I think you were talking about things like, you know, is a thread of footwork or is this, you know, you sit on your butt or something like that. And I think it was you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you mentioned something like, yeah, it's okay to do a thread as long as it's like the basis footwork, you know, you're, you're using it as a transition within footwork or something. And you're not just sitting there and just threading, threading, threading or something like that. Right. For sure. In breaking it's never what you do, but how it's done. So it mm-hmm. goes for this one too. Like if, if, uh, the context is footwork, then basically you can add pretty much anything into it. If, if you keep that context based, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Rocks rides elbow six step is a great example. People say that you cannot be on your back in a footwork battle, but then Rocks ride comes in and he does an elbow six step where he uses only one arm and an elbow instead of this. So he's still doing a six step. He drops on his elbow slightly on his back on every single round, but it's still a six step. So how can you say that's not footwork if if you just like to put things into a box there's a lot of gray area right yeah but naturally i wouldn't go into a footwork battle and rock just back rocks in the footwork round that's not a footwork right yeah there's not footwork like that but it's the way that you put things together and how you do it that's everything that matters yeah i think that's a great point too that you when you were coming up with these guidelines you don't want to box people too far and it's got to be open enough that people have freedom to express but closed enough that it still looks like the thing that it's supposed to kind of be right yeah. exactly you say well yes yeah. that's the hard part about judging too right? in general with with something like breaking because you know you're talking with with people like like say renegade and, and storm and people who are really pushing this like uh, judging getting getting it straight and what how are we doing this kind of thing especially with the olympics coming up um that's a that's a really difficult thing to navigate is how much do you constrain it and how much do you leave it open and that kind of thing so it's that so, same balance yeah. how do you master the gray area how do you yeah. 
how do you make sense into it mm. yeah. <laughs> and everybody has a different perspective so how do we mm. find a common consensus of how how breaking should be just mm -hmm. so uh that's a long route to make and luckily they've been on it for i don't know how how long creating what's what's happening right now i think 12 years with uh with the trivium or something like this and i think educating judges is a beautiful thing at least there is a conversation and an open conversation about how breaking should be judged whereas before it was like all right here's a judge judge <laughs> sit on the bench and throw throw your arm one direction or fall asleep or throw a tie like yeah. come on <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's a similar thing too with like well, how much do you do you talk about it and dissect it and how much do you kind of because some people were like oh you know you just feel it or something like that and you know to an extent that's kind of true but also it's it's i think it's important to discuss these things like how do you judge how do you teach how do you you know the importance of mentorship and what is and isn't you know uh breaking and and just have that open discussion it's better to have it than to keep it sort of what do you call it? like hidden under the rug and no one talks about it but everyone's kind of worrying about it or wondering about it or you know <laughs> yes indeed so that talk is only that discussion is only going to up up the level what we have whether it's judging whether it's teaching whether it's battling or whatever it is <laughs> whether it's throwing events as long as we are building on it then the level of skills is going to rise and that's a great thing to have on all different fields yeah for sure um <clears throat> i think we're going to cut it there for for now and maybe sometime in the future we'll revisit this conversation but uh thank you so much focus for just taking the time to do this do you have any uh, last last words or shout outs or anything that you want to do before we sign off First of all, thank you, man. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great mm. talk. And uh, and uh, shout out to everybody in the scene for putting in their work. Not just expecting the results, but putting in the work on their behalf as well. Be on the lookout for Cypherspace. I'm working on a social media platform for Breakers that's hopefully going to be available in the first quarter of uh, 23. If everything goes right, fingers crossed. Nice. Got a great team, and we are working working towards getting getting it ready so be on the lookout for that one and uh hope to see you in jam soon it's a small world so i'll see you in the cyphers yeah for sure uh thanks everybody thanks focus thank you everybody for listening and watching and we'll see you in the next one peace yeah peace thanks everybody for listening and i really hope you enjoyed the talk if you like what you heard, please feel free to check out some of the older episodes and help spread the word about the podcast. If you really want to go that extra mile, please consider supporting on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash razzyf2, R-A-Z-Z-Y-F-2. Even as little as a dollar goes a long way, and it means a lot to have your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.